Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the Turkey Woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17 for Turkey Week. I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. Well, good morning and good day, Element listeners. Wow. Are you British? Yeah, I'm trying to do something different here. (laughs) This Element Podcast brought to you by First Light Gear. Tyler's drinking in Nalgene because we parched. We hot, we dry, we dusty. Mm. We all those crusty, that bad things that you might be thinking about. You know what else we've been? What are we? Pollinated. Pollinated. <laughs> we have been pollinated. Man, <clears throat> I was riding a four-wheeler, and it was just like, poof, sneeze, poof, sneeze. Oh, it was dude. like instant. See, I didn't have the sneeze stuff because I took some Claritin. You didn't have the sneezel? It's the off-brand Claritin. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the neckline on my shirt was like, I thought I had fire ants on me. It was itching so DV. bad, dude. You have that DV going? Yeah, I did. That's how I rolled, dude. Man, I remember, the, I missed the V-neck days. I used to wear the tart of a V-neck. What was that, like 2000s? Oh, uh, I feel like it's 2010 to 2014, something <sighs> like that. See, I kind of wonder if you're behind the times a few years there. I don't know, man. Because uh, I feel like the V was starting to come in about 07, man. Maybe. Maybe that's when it was. I might <clears> just be remembering <throat> the times wrong. Yeah, you know, you're right. Because it started probably my senior year of high school, but I I bought like seven different colors of V-neck, and now I just wear olive. <laughs> no V-neck. <laughs> no V-neck. Just T-neck. That's it. Uh, so you may be wondering, but we've been out in the field. We've been a field, as they say. They have. Yeah. They have said that. It's uh, getting close to deer season. <clears throat> they it every every week. I know. That's what we have to say. <laughs> we got to trick ourselves into believing oh, it. Oh man. Um, however, a deer has gone down in the element camp. Oh man. But we can't talk any more about it. We can't. No. We can't even tell them who. <sighs> Do they need to know? Uh, well, at some point they might. They might need to know at I some mean, point in time. If you uh, if you follow us on social, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. know, you know. If you're if you're in the in group, you're in the in crowd. You know, uh, we're inducing FOMO right now <laughs> with all the element listeners. But um, <laughs> so for one, we had a really good Q and A podcast last week. We appreciate all the questions that y'all sent to us. Yes. Uh, for two, it seems that we missed about half the questions. So. Um, there's, oh, that's I think right. there's some in. Are we supposed to do those this week? Uh, do we want to? I don't know. We can, does, or we can do them some other time. Um, I'm not even sure what we're supposed to be doing today. Yeah, here, let's do this. Let's go through the story of what we've been doing. Okay, and then we will wrap up with some Q and A. All right, uh, to kind of get that finished because we don't uh, the the Q and A that we did last week was about um, early season pre rut September October tactics. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we don't want to – if we let those questions lapse too long, they won't be applicable for this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we'll Eric do is MCing again for that? Um, yes, he will be MCing for that. Way to go, Eric. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, that'll be later on, Eric. Yeah. You can, you, we'll, we'll warn you. You can chillax. I mean, yeah, card, you, can, you can check on the Cardinals if you want to. Yeah, you can put uh, your earphones back in. <laughs> um, we we actually, guys, <clears throat> um, have got a piece of ground in Kansas that we are going to try to kill a deer on. Uh, it's it's a nice piece of play, uh, property. Um, and abnormally abnormal to what we usually do we have access to this thing like before deer season which is wild right because a lot of times we just run around like a chicken with a head cut off and just hey can i hunt there yeah sure go yeah. ahead and well you usually we start out hunting on some public yeah and then uh <laughs> we, can't, we can't figure out how to kill a deer or, yeah. we, or we have a bad wind and we've got like two it options took one and wind shift to end up on private on land, land. <laughs> <laughs> dude so many inside jokes. I know. No, here's the deal, man. Listen, There's no, no inside jokes. Okay, let me just tell you where that one comes from. If you don't know, that's a joke, which we have several running from this video right now, the nameless video. you got to go back to like 2017 or 18. I shot a buck on public land. It was the first one we ever killed on video on public land. Yep. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, of course, at the time, you're coming off, we're coming off of a, an era where, like, you know, all these big brands like Yeti and, and other companies, Matthews, and all these companies are, like, making these epic films where there's dudes with dramatic voices, you know. Slow-mo, so, super slow-mo. <laughs> that's what we did, you know. Yeah. It actually is a really cool video. I, oh, I, I love still it, look back on it, and I'm like, man, we did something cool, you know. But uh, anyway, it's called Nameless. It's a, it's a big old public land toad, and I make the, the statement in there, took one wind shift to end up. On public land, and it was an accurate statement. It was, man. Yeah, it you worked. Know, there's another statement in that one, that video we make fun of all the time, right? Are you ready for the lot, <laughs> brother? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that was uh, that was where we started yeah. at the bottom, and now yeah, we're here. We are. Um, it's 99 outside. I know yeah, it was getting smoking, that hot today. Dude. Oh, absolutely. There's no, there's no relief. No, no. Uh, Exhaustion of this heat, it would seem. Um, Except for the heat exhaustion in my yeah. body. <laughs> it's wild yesterday. We we did the thing, guys. And some of y'all might not like it. And that's all right. But we put out corn. Because, dadgummit, if it don't work. As Uncle Ted likes to say, <laughs> we took the corn from over there and we put it over there. Yeah. Okay? And uh, Man, there's been... That's a pretty basic uh, human thing to do, you know what I mean? It is, For humans. Man. That's right. Um, it's pretty cool. It, it works real well, especially out in a place where there's not a lot of food around. Um, you know, I hear corn's good for pollinators, according to Mark Kenyon. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think well, that's what we're doing. So uh, a thing about this particular property is uh, it's pretty much treeless. So ground attack. Right? So you got nameless and you got treeless. Yeah, this is this <laughs> film will be called treeless. <laughs> Uh, and as you guess, there are no trees. Uh, just like the bug didn't have a name. Wow. Uh, what if he did? What if it's Steve or something? Oh, we somebody up? had him named, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Steve for sure, though, would yeah. be the name. Starbucks. That's funny. So Brennan, KC's buddy, back in 2017, shot a big old public land OTC Colorado bull. And uh, we were all on a trip together. He bring they bring that bull back, and he started calling it Steve while I was sitting in camp. 
<laughs> but the joke back then, you know, and I'm I'm sure I just don't watch a lot of outdoor TV now. But Lee and Tiffany were real popular then, right? Yeah. The Lakowskis just ran the outdoor channel, and they probably still do. They kill a ton of big deer, like they got it dialed right. But because they have so many big deer, they uh, lose they lack in creativity on their names of their deer sometimes. And so, like Tiffany had a deer named Steve. And Brennan just thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like that, a white guy name. Yeah, you know? just like, yeah. I think I think it was like a cameraman deal. Like, hey, Steve was with me when I was filming. We filmed this dude the first time. We're going to name him Steve or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the, you know, the YouTube video. I killed Steve. And you're like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, just the deer. But that's how yeah. we end up with Steve, the, the elk. Yeah. You know, our buddy Jared Mills used to do that, too, a lot. They named them after athletes. Yeah, famous old athletes, which, right? At the end of the day, like, Nobody knows these, like, kind of tertiary baseball players from the 60s or whatever yeah. that they knew. And Yeah, one like Pete Rose, right? No, it was no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or it would well, be Pete, you know, if yeah. it was. So. Oh, no, he named – no, that was Aaron Warburton. He named uh, – uh, Finkel, Ray Finkel, right? Yeah. After the Ace Ventura character. Yeah. <laughs> which is also a sports figure, I think. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A kicker. When he was a, played for the Dolphins or something, didn't he? Yeah. It was, that dude was ahead of the times, too, because he was a dude and he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that, that first Ace Ventura movie was like generations ahead. We well, talked about it last podcast. Did we? Yeah. Remember, yeah. that was one of my favorite comedic movies. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was good. It's funny. Funny stuff. Yeah, dude. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, where was it going um, before we get off on that? Elk. Uh, before that was... It was something about... Oh, the, the treeless property yes. there. Golly, Sorry. dude. Can we get on a tangent? Yeah. Um, Y'all love us, please. It ain't just a tangent either. It's like 14 of them. So yeah. you got to backtrack, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's no, there are no trees on this property to hunt. And so it's very wide open. Newer property. Um to us in newer area and uh potentially has uh you know has has the potential to do some have some really big deer on it but uh you know you can only get in touch with certain people on the landscape i've found most of the time and you got to take what you can get so yep. we got in touch with this landowner we're able to get out there and put some corn on it in september and uh Nothing has showed up on the camera The camera yet. We have two cameras, but one of them hadn't been initiated. Um, and, you know, it's only been it's only only been out there for 16 hours or whatever. So, you know, anyway, the idea is more... There's a high chance one of us shoots a deer. If we shoot two deer on the property, there's a high chance one of us shoots a deer that has eaten corn. But there's also a really high chance that at least one of us shoots one that is not really super close to the corn because of the way the property sets up and the ability to see, obviously, with uh, not too many trees on it, gives us maybe the ability to uh, really take advantage of the rut instincts that bucks have out there that are visual and audio uh, driven as well, sonically driven. So... For instance, rattling, like kind of like what you did last year, yeah. or potentially using a like a big full-size, full-body decoy um, that just at least piques the interest of of a deer that's cruising maybe in this wide open property, and end up shooting something that way. The idea, though, with the corn, as much as just having a place for deer to <laughs> shoot, is just to make sure that they come to the property and cruise for does a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, 
that's the idea. So if we can get them on our property, then we can get them killed some way. And that's, mm-hmm. man, and I don't even care. I will shoot one right up just with yellow gold falling out of his mouth. You oh, know it's I mean? awesome when it happens. So, yeah. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the turkey woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17, for Turkey Week. Tyler, you have uh, a good amount of experience hunting corn Mm -hmm. in some places like this. Uh, and for those of us, especially, it's kind of a southern thing, right? I think Ohio, you can bait a little bit, yeah. and uh, maybe a few other states. But, you know, it's kind of a, a more of a southern deal. Um, what are some of the, the key things to kind of make sure that that's successful? Well, the first thing you got to do is just not turn up your nose, right? Yeah. Um, and don't think you're hoity-toity or better than anybody else. No. Um, the, it's true, though. But, yeah, I mean, if you um, – you know, a big part of it is, like, maximizing your time because you may be from a place like we are that doesn't have very many big deer, and you got to travel. Uh, you know, if you're from Ohio, maybe you don't want to bait because you got big deer right in your backyard, and, you know, you don't have to – you don't, you know, you get to go, like, twice a week if you want or yep. whatever, you know. And so you want to put a, a stipulation on yourself to challenge yourself. In fact, I have done this. I have stipulated that I would shoot things with a bow most of the time, therefore creating some sort of maybe handicap. But as much as anything, I just love the encounter close up with deer, man. I love being close, close to deer. And I love the, what you know, again, in uh, Mystical Flight of the Arrow, the, the Ted Nugent quote, right? <laughs> uh, the Mystical Flight of the Arrow. I love it. So some of the things that you'd think about to help this be advantageous for you are um, a lot of the a lot of properties in the U.S. have cattle on them uh-huh. um, if they're not in corn production, which is funny, right? Because dudes hunt cornfields all the time and act like they're not a like a corn pile. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, if it's not in corn production or beans or something like that, they'll have corn on or uh, cattle on it. So you have to fence these things off to keep the cattle out of your corn from, you know, keep them from tipping feeders over or mm-hmm. whatever, if you've piled the corn up and keep them from that or whatever. That's a big thing that I try to learn from you because I, I think we built a feeder pen one time when I was a kid around a feeder, but I haven't hunted a lot of places that you have to do that. You know, mm-hmm. to make sure, make sure that you keep the cows out of there. And so, like, I was kind of relying on you pretty heavily this week to have an idea of, like, how big this thing needs to be and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing is it needs to be pretty big. You know, the bigger you make it, the better, right? So, essentially, all these, you know, any property nearly that has cattle or has had them in the past has a fence on it. Uh-huh. Well, if it's 50 acres fenced, 
that's a big old feeder pen. You know yeah. what I mean? And deer feel very comfortable hopping a fence and not being squished in. But if you take two or four 16-foot cattle panels or hog panels and you put them around a feeder, there ain't much room in there for that deer, and it's just not going to feel comfortable. It's the same concept as, like, potentially uh, just sticking a, a feeder in the middle of a honeysuckle thicket. Mm-hmm. Like, a deer's probably not going to want to come in there and eat because he's going to feel like he's getting jumped the whole time, you know? Yeah. So just what we did is we got eight T-posts and built an octagon, you know, a rough octagon, depending on, you know, the lay of the land. We weren't setting up in the flattest of spots necessarily. You just call it a polygon probably, a multi-sided shape. Yeah, it was definitely a polygon. It was a multi-sided polygonal shape uh, out of those, and we strung. Polygonal prism. That's that's it. And we (laughs) built uh, two strands of barbed wire around the – the polygonal prism, 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 yep. and uh, so that's to keep the, you know keep the cows from from you know out of it or whatever. Now, you know, I think the reason a lot of people there's a couple of reasons you would do uh, the cattle or hog panels. One, uh, if you just do the barbed wire, hogs will get into that stuff. So if you don't have hog problems, you can get away with it. If you got hogs around. Uh, in pretty good numbers, then you want to keep them out a lot of times because they'll mess with your deer. Yeah, or maybe you're the kind of person who, like, doesn't care deer or hogs. You want to shoot stuff. Sure. Then you don't have to worry about it too much. But really, if you want to shoot big deer, keeping the hogs at bay is a good thing. Yeah, and so so the hog panel thing, they can be kind of expensive, but uh, so can feeding a bunch of hogs of corn if you don't want that, if that's not the goal of your property. Uh, one thing I've done at my house is I have um, three 16-foot panels on each side um, of my feeder pen. So it's 48 by 48 feet, and it gives the deer plenty of room, right, and um, gives them, makes them feel at least semi-comfortable in there, I think, and keeps the hogs out. And this is something to consider because in South Texas, I know some guys that, that have built feeder pens down, pens down there as well. Um, and they do similar things. I think uh, one of our buddies, um, mutual friends that we know, it's a little bit older than us, um, he, I think he has like a 96 by 96 cattle pen. Wow. Uh, feeder, feeder pen. So it's like, you know, giant. And the reason you would want to do that, I think, a lot of times is if you're actually not just hand feeding, but you have a, a like a slinger, a feeder in there that's slinging it, is... Um, you know, if you if you if you're trying to keep hogs away from the area, but you're still slinging feed outside the feeder pen, uh-huh. they're going to come around still. You know, I just realized we have some feeders. They're I think they're Moultries that you're. Uh, they give you a feeder spin speed. Yeah. And I was like, well, I never understood why. And then as soon That's as you said that, enough. I realized it. So it doesn't fling the corn as far. Yeah. So you could right. do a low spin speed. But a longer time span and put out the same amount of corn yeah. as you did would in like five seconds of high speed or whatever you know, and it doesn't fling it as far. Yeah, how ingenious. Yeah, dude. I mean, they think of everything these days, yeah. man. Well, how about that? You know, the the interconnected global world we have <laughs> actually benefits people sometimes. Can't figure some things out sometimes. Huh? So anyway, that's that's some those are some things to consider. Um, I still prefer hand feeding often. Yeah. Uh, for for big bucks but it, it i mean it's one of those things where like 
it's a little bit <laughs> it's i feel like it's a little bit better but it's it's not a huge factor all the time because all like every year i've got a buddy who stays really connected with locally at least with people that are hunting and stuff and he shows me pictures every year of deer big bucks eating under a feeder in fact my dad i don't know if they had a feeder going at the time my dad has for sure shot some giants under a feeder and yeah so they'll come in there the thing is during the rut they don't eat long so you got to kind of get them killed quick usually you know if it's if it's high to the rut yeah but they'll the still come in there that's but, going on is because they don't want to slow down yeah so if they don't have food source they ain't slowing down at all no they they wouldn't they'd be running by you probably yeah. you know so i mean definitely um definitely can be done i just think if like when you look at the what the shoulders of the rut um when the deer are a little less than crazy sometimes they can be they can be a little more difficult to kill under a feeder as opposed to hand feeding Mm -hmm. now another thing to think about is like i was saying earlier if you don't live close to where you're hunting then a feeder is kind of the way to go because you can you can get a, a big fi- a feeder like a 450 pound feeder or something like that or 600 pound feeder and you can run that thing for a long time uh, you know if you can keep the coons off of it um, with a cage or something you can run it for a long time so that like say you can make it out in august or september set that thing up get it running and you know it can still be running in november when you come back uh, if you want to you know, if you set it up right and you want that to be the case so that you don't have to make another trip six or eight hours away. So a bunch of different things to think about there. I don't know if that answers your question fully or not. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that helps a lot because, um, you know, I haven't done as much of it. And what we have done is just very basic feedery type stuff. You just put a deer feeder up and it runs and mm-hmm. hopefully something comes out, right? Mm-hmm. But I like the what we have going on here on this place where it's like, we don't have the ability to put in food plots there. For one, it's the desert. And for two, we don't have the equipment or the place to do it. Like, we don't have permission to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's cows all around. It wouldn't be very effective. We don't have... We got a... Between the two of us, I have a tiny 1970s model Massey Fur... Er, I'm sorry, Kubota uh, tractor, you know, that barely pulls a disc. So I don't have what it takes to even put in a food plot or the knowledge to know, like, how to plant wheat. So it's like it's about near like putting in food plots because we're trying to feed deer and keep them on the property. Right. Mm -hmm. The objective is to not shoot a deer over corn. It's to have the deer on the property that you want to be there. So it just it it just makes a lot of sense to do whenever you're hunting a place that's far from home. Mm -hmm. You know, like I. I try every year at my house to plant a food plot, and I ain't trying to make this a, a food plot versus corn podcast because well, we, yeah, we've covered it's that. It's more just you know? this is the cultural common thing yeah. that it is, right? It's like we're just kind of saying, like, hey, you hear this a lot in hunting yeah. media probably, so this is how we address it. I would love to have it. a successful food plot at my house. And <laughs> if you too, know dude. how to make stuff grow in sugar sand when it's 108 outside, let me know. By the way, uh, 108 outside in the day, but also 85 at night. Yeah, that's the. I think actually, that's the toughest part about where we live is that it doesn't cool off. Like up here where we were in Kansas, it's in the hundreds, but this morning we got up to leave. It was in the was it 59? 59. 59 degrees. I know. That's almost that is a 50 almost 50 degree temperature swing. 
but every morning they get a dew, so there's a little bit of moisture in the ground, you know, and we don't get that at all. So, anyways, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Uh, but I like what we got going on because we got a big old property, and it'll give us the freedom to move about the property however we want to to try to hunt deer, but at least we got something to keep them on the place, whereas otherwise it's few and far between. Yeah, I can just guarantee you right now it ain't going to be easy. No. I mean, there may be one of them. Maybe we shoot two and one of them is or something, but, like, it is not going to be easy. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's the – I mean, if you, if you want to boil it down to a lot of the debates, a lot of the debates in the hunting world, man, like – it's all about somebody beating their chest versus, you know, uh, somebody just having fun, pretty much. Yeah. It's like, man, you can beat your <laughs> chest and talk about how good you are and how, you know, you're doing this right and everybody else is doing it wrong yeah. and this and that. But really, it's just pride, man, and that's all that is. And we were watching a video the other day of a very uh, popular outdoor TV group, uh, and I'm not going to be too critical because I enjoyed the video. But it's funny because um, they were hunting in Kansas, and uh, for some reason, there was a bunch of hay on the ground, and all the deer were sticking their <laughs> nose through that hay to eat stuff <laughs> below that hay. It was real weird, you know, but all you could see in the video was hay on the ground. Mm. Pretty pretty neat, you know, and yeah. uh, that probably, I ain't going to take time to do all that. No, you know? no. <laughs> I mean, but the, here's the deal, dude. If you've been doing it, who knows if they've been doing it for very long or not, yeah. but if they've been doing it for 30 years, say, you know, like you're one of the pioneers. It's just the world that you got to exist in at yeah. that point because you've you've already you've already entered it. You've already entered the dark side. You know, <laughs> so you gotta you gotta kind of stay there. But yeah. and so I understand. I understand it. it's tough to, you know, just break the mold of what you got going that's working yeah. for you, man. And and in all honesty, dude, there there are jerks in every single industry and space of the entire world. Yeah. Right. But. There's a lot of pretty decent people, I think, in the hunting industry, even though people would like to, to hate on them, that are really, like, they had a dream when they were young. Here's how, here's how it goes, guys. You had a dream when you're young that you just loved hunting and fishing so much that you just wanted to either hunt or fish for a living. This is me, right? And I, I wanted it bad. And you start to go, well, how can I do that? Well, in this day and age, it's YouTube. In the previous couple decades, it was TV and um, maybe even riding and stuff like that too. There's other, other other avenues. So you've got these different ways that you can do it. And then there's fish or there's a guiding slash outfitting, right? Now those are all kind of your options to to get you in the outdoors and hunting and fishing every day, or as much as you possibly can, right? Or you could be a commercial uh, crab fisherman on yeah, Texas coast, which sounds real hard. <laughs> and so what you do, man, is you go, okay, well, uh, you figure out which one of those career paths you kind of want. You start to go after it. It's exciting. Like, say you're wanting to be on TV. So just look at Michael Waddell, for instance. He, 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 you know, is doing some turkey call competition, meets a Bill Jordan or somebody, you know, in Realtree. And next thing you know, they're kind of like, hey, you want to come run a camera for us? Oh, yeah, man. This, oh, if I could I get paid to do this? You know, are you kidding me? Like, this is what I've always dreamed of doing was hunting for a living. And then somewhere along the way, business is business, and things take a turn. And you end up going, you know what, I'm halfway in this thing and I'm getting paid and I can either stay here, kind of climb the ladder a little bit and make a living for me and my family who I really love and take you know, and want to take care of and also get to do what I love, right? Or I can go do the pretty much exact same thing 
in some other industry. And I think at, at the core, a lot of people understand this. It just hurts when something that we're so passionate about, like hunting, you know, has this business uh, kind of thing that goes, aura that goes around it, you yeah. know. And I think that that's that's what, I don't know, if I'm just kind of like taking up for some of these guys who've been no, doing it a long time. It's, it's like, man, I, I see, I see, you know, that stuff like that can happen, and, and I don't think that they're bad dudes. They just want to make a living for their no, family I, at this point, you know. not what I was trying to say at all. No, I, just I know. I think that it was, it's just kind of humorous to me, you know, yeah. to, to see that kind of stuff. But I think that if you want to, uh, you know, take up for some people like that, it's a good thing because you take, you think that you're passionate about hunting, think about uh, being passionate about your families. And you know who preys on that is doctors, insurance people, all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to offend, offend everybody I can right now, right? <laughs> yeah. like, but, like, you got to understand that you can't have a double standard about, like, who you're okay with, who's who right. you're okay with who is profit, profiting off of something you're passionate about, right? Sure. Because I'm real passionate about my family. And, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, uh, I ain't okay with all doctors either, but I understand medical care is, is a good thing. Yeah. And you Dude. know what? If I – if <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, no, I don't like they make money off that hunting. Then I would never get to watch another hunting show or buy another bag of corn yeah. or never get to shoot another bow unless I made it myself. You know, like, you just got to understand that we live in an industrialized society and uh, everything we have is going to have a little touch of industry to it. And it's a good thing because yeah. it make, gives people jobs. Well, dude, and I, I think what I love about the people that are listening to this podcast that I can tell from them is that they – we're here to we're we're here to have fun man and yeah. like people generally that are in the element audience are like just good dudes man <laughs> yeah. a lot of them like they they are dudes that like want to hunt and have a good time and they ain't trying to judge everybody right, and do man. all this and that you know like they're just having having a good time listening to two dudes that are not doctors <laughs> talk about you know in redneck ways what their experiences are man and that's I'm what i shaman. appreciate about them that's what they call me shaman uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they also say witch doctor for that i think yeah too. Well, i ain't into that <laughs> um, but um you know we've we used to do uh meetups and hangouts and stuff and those were fun we didn't get to do one last year but uh, some of y'all have been asking about that, and we would like to do some stuff like that again. I'm so. gonna try to make it work, man. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to do that. Um, a lot of times, uh, to be honest, that stuff's um, a lot of work for us, and it's not that it's not worth it. But um, that means that we don't always have time to make it happen. You know what I mean? So that's I mean, what that's, it comes back to what we we're talking about. It's like, man, you know, I could I could be making pretty good money right now with my degree in Dallas somewhere. Uh, but I decided to, you know, make a little less, have a little more fun. Yeah. And uh, when you make a little less, sometimes work and time is, like, really of the <coughs> essence. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, being able to go, like, well, we can put on this big event. It's going to take weeks to plan and this and that and, and then, you know, all these other things. Uh-huh. Or we can go hog hunting and make a video that, you know, does something for us. <laughs> and it's right. also really fun to produce, so yeah. it's hard, you know. Yeah. You gotta that kinda wait said, If you see us out at your local public land, say hi. Mm-mm. But don't act like I'm it's behind a hell of a meetup. I'm behind <laughs> That's right. from y'all. What y'all don't know is we've seen every single one of y'all, but we <laughs> behind right. a tree That's right. and let y'all walk by. We in a road ditch That's in the right. grass, just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, we take out a orange off for just a second, you know, hide it underneath the bushes. Man, you know, we, used to, we used to ditch dive all the time, man. <laughs> And it probably didn't even matter a whole lot, but it would matter a little more now probably. But, yeah, we we might not see you. We yeah. actually met one of our better friends on some public Dad in Texas it, one that time. That guy. 
And uh, <laughs> I was, like, real offended because we were both hunting a really good spot. Yeah, you know? that guy was wearing first light in deer woods. What was he thinking? <laughs> Who knows, man? <laughs> um, he looked pretty good. He did, man. Yeah. Was, he, he was, like, the first whitetail hunter I ever saw wear first light. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah. I, I always thought it was just, like, an elk, elk hunting deal. Which I think he might have even had elk stuff on, probably because he elk hunted that well, year or something. It was fusion, that's what he had. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I was like, oh, it, you know, that's kind of interesting or whatever. Never yeah. really seen anybody wear that. And then over the next co- couple of years, I've seen more and more people. And of course, at some point, they came along with the Spectre Whitetail pattern and in like white tail seen gear. If he's wearing that. Oh, I guarantee you, dude. <laughs> I mean, he'd been like. A public land ghost. <laughs> Just looking like a cedar tree moving around over there, you know. <laughs> Tyler, something else I noticed on this trip. What? Was that um, I think, I believe you were gifted a tw- uh, 12-gauge over and under. <laughs> yeah. And you have made the most of that 12-gauge over and under. Have I? I believe so. You went, like, better than a, than most people's batting averages. <laughs> I mean, what you what'd you end up with, like, five or seven? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's probably about right. On doves while we're out here. So, it's dove season. Goodness. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's it's dove season. And, and you know, uh, to be frank, we haven't had a lot of time to do that. We've been doing some other hunting and stuff. But uh, um, there's always a lot of doves up here. So, we brought our shotguns. And uh, we had a catastrophe. And it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, we it wasn't an injury. Like, not that kind of catastrophe with guns. We always try to be real safe. But... Um, we had planned on putting up these feeder pens and uh, then having about an hour in the evenings because dove, you have to stop at sunset. It's not 30 minutes after like deer. I, I always have to look it up to make sure, but I remember there being something there, and it's at sunset. So uh, we're going to try to have about an hour in the evening to just smoke some doves because I do love to eat doves. It's a tasty mm. thing. It's also one of the more fun things there are to shoot because yes. there's a lot of them. And you don't have to get up early to do it like you do ducks. So it's I love shooting doves. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got the first feeder pin done. While having shotgun within reach, <laughs> Yeah, I, I uh, shot one. Dusted, dude. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was a tough shot, man. It was a, that was a good shot. Thank you. Thank you. I, I haven't uh, – I can be okay with a shotgun sometimes, but like I, it's kind of like a golf swing. Like some days I'm just I ain't got it, and some yep. days I can shoot real good. <laughs> and apparently, I only shot like a few times yesterday, and only one of them was like on a legitimate shot. But I think that I might have a full choke and a 20 gauge. I'm not too sure. I didn't. I kind of grabbed it in haste and, le- and left. But I always like to draw a good beat on them anyway, so it don't matter. Full choke, right. modified, whatever you yep. know. Put them down. Well, that one kind of. I knew that I needed to be pretty precise. So instead of taking the quick shot that may or may not hit, I decided to aim down, you know, and, and really make sure I took a good shot. Well, what ended up happening is I ended up shooting, like, kind of over my back behind me. <laughs> but I did. I smoked the dove. Um, Laid so many feathers. Yeah, it was it was, it was was definitely like a pillow fight. And, uh, but that's the only dove I killed. But from was there... It? Yeah, well, the only one I found. I, I didn't see any other fall. You never know when you have a stray pellet. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there are those out there who would think that if the thing doesn't fall, there's no way a stray pellet got in that animal and it died later. But that yeah. is not the truth. Yeah, there are. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, from there on, you just kind of took over when it came to making sure things died. Uh, yeah, you, I tried. You 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 did pretty good. I'm job I'm not of afraid that. to shoot, man, because yeah, uh, I don't get to do it a whole lot. So yeah. like, if I see a dove at 50, it's probably getting a, at least one shot at it. What do you think a pattern's like on on a, a 12 gauge seven and a half at 50 yards? 
Well, I wasn't shooting seven and a halves, but what were you shooting? I was shooting nines. Nines, yes, Hot sir. Diggity dog. If I can find nines, I'm shooting them. That's a dove. cool. I ain't never shot a nine. It is bad to the bone, dude. Um, but I do shoot seven and a halves a lot. I have, I have a. My dad bought a long time ago several cases of those Remington Sure Shot seven and a halves. That's yeah. a good quality shell, dude. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, man. I think I, I think I've got a modified and let's see. I think I've got an improved cylinder maybe on the first shot and a modified on the second barrel. So it improves barrel. the widest? Uh, it's wide. This improve, it's, uh, improve is wider than modified, and then there's an improved modified, which I think sits between – I think that actually sits between modified and full, and then there's a full. That's confusing. There's probably more in there, but those are the ones I The three I, I remember about. is that – or I guess There's it's a four. cylinder too, that's, which is the widest of all. That's barrel. It's pretty much the same much, thing, yeah. right? So barrel choke – Improved, modified, full. That's what yeah, I. That's what I, I, I grew up on too, man. Yeah. But I've seen. I think. I think my dad bought me a used Benelli a couple of years ago for my birthday because uh, he said I always want. He said you always wanted a SBE Super Black Eagle, and uh, he bought me a two that was used, and I got a good deal on it. And I think it's got an improved, modified in the case with it. Oh, nice. Um, so I don't know. I've never shot it, yeah. but I, I usually shoot a modified when I shoot uh-huh. uh, like duck loads and you know always always shot a modified at ducks because we were always hunting public land public land ducks sorry about that um and they were you know you weren't going to be killing too many at 15 yards with an improved cylinder yeah on but that's the lakes. idea with your over under is to shoot uh a wide shot first then when they're a little further out there for a second shot you have a little bit yep tighter pattern yeah so makes good sense to me i don't know what it looks like at 50 though i mean i it looked like dead doves to me. Yeah, there were there was a couple of long shots that ended up pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I I try to make it happen uh, as far as like getting a shot off on them things if they're if they're fairly fairly. If I think you know, I've just done it so much, I just have an idea of like you know what the range is and that kind of thing. But yeah, still mess mess up every once in a while for sure. Yeah. They didn't really want to. The thing is, if we'd have been sitting hunting doves, we didn't get to actually hunt. No, we never hunted. We were we were actually oh, still just working the whole the time. Catastrophe that I was going to talk yeah. about uh, was um, we needed to get more corn for our second station, so we sent the loyal and trustworthy Eric Gentry to town to get the corn <sighs> before or while we were putting out that first station, and um, so then we met up with him after that was done and drove to the other end of the property to put out the other thing. Well, no, you know, lo and behold, the trailer was lighter because I didn't load a four-wheeler back on the trailer where all our equipment was. And we proceeded to spread our equipment across the pasture (laughs) on the way (laughs) to the other uh, end of the property. So we get down there, unload T-posts, and realize, oh, no, we can't find the T-post driver. Well, good news, the grass is tall, T-post driver is short. <laughs> and I drive around on the four-wheeler for about an hour looking for the T-post driver. I bet I put 10 miles on the four-wheeler trying to do that. And uh, One of my misses at Dove was while you were doing that. Dead gum, I didn't even get to see it. I, and this is what I was it's going to is we weren't hunting, really. We yep. just were st- sitting at the truck, so well, that's the Dove why, wouldn't fly over yeah, us. That's why we didn't get to hunt. Yeah. Because uh, the T-post driver thing took so long, and I pretty much – had to leave Tyler and Eric just like truck sitting trying to shoot doves in a weird spot. Yeah, it was a bad spot. There was yeah. no sunflowers where there was the, the, the first place we were at. 
and they they were seeing the truck and trailer and my white shirt and everything Eric else. Eric had to cut off sleeves and he got them wide arms. Yeah, and so. uh, he's working on them though. You know. <laughs> um, oh, it's not the arms that are that are an issue. They're they're nice and bulky and muscular, but well, the uh, he's he's a pale fella. Yeah, so, yeah, he's working on them though. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I wasn't working. He's not working on the muscles. Oh. He's working on the tan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a tan Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa that's tan. <laughs> tan Paul, tell me about the good old days. Y'all don't sue me for that. Uh, uh, pale anyway, Paul. Pale Paul. Uh, so anyway, uh, the the dove, you know, they'd be coming across. There wasn't a whole lot of them. We saw just a few while you're gone, but they would come across, and then they would just flare a little bit towards the end and i shot one he was probably pretty far and uh i shot at him and didn't hit him and then i decided i'm not doing that again i walked over i was like i'm gonna walk 50 yards away from the truck and then sit there and so i sat there and nothing happened uh, that's probably about the time i called and you said hey can you check the truck again and make sure <laughs> yeah and you're like i just walked over here yeah no i i had looked at it for sure um but then anyway so as it's getting closer to sunset we finally had all met back up, and we we're trying to figure out where we, exactly where we were going to put this station, right? And uh, all of a sudden, we're like, they're, 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 they're heading to roost, right? They're all over, and we're actually in a spot where they're flying, which is, is kind of near a creek. Uh, like, a, like not a creek, but just a water system, Dude, you know. It's crazy whenever, so when you dove hunting, you got about a 15-minute window when it all really goes down. Like, mm. you can pick them apart a little bit throughout the day, but then all of a sudden, the ground begins to produce doves from the dust. <laughs> and it's like, where you thought there were no doves, there's a 100, and they just keep coming, and keep coming, and then all of a sudden, oh. it's behind, after shooting line, you can't shoot them no more. But. don't know. Listen, we, we have realized over the last few years, we cannot break the rules. You yes. know what I mean? Like, we, not that we ever were rule breakers, but just like there's no stretching at all like we got to do it by the book that's well, just the way it is along with that too comes <clears throat> whenever i was running around with, my, with pop when i was a kid yeah he was a real stretcher but anyways outside of that um like you had your wristwatch and that was set to the clock that was on the stove and that was set to the clock that was on the truck which was set to the clock that was on the bank uptown on the digital sign mm-hmm. we didn't have like there was like a 5 minute cushion yeah. because nobody really knew what time it sure. was but now you're still everybody has thanks cell to phone. apple huh? <laughs> thanks to apple yeah thanks to apple clock that's exactly right we're all just you know new world order on the clock and it's like uh okay 801 is the same time for everybody yeah right now so anyway um i i it's starting to get close to sunset and i shoot a dove and we checked the clock, and we're like, oh, man, we only got a few more minutes. Two minutes. I was keeping track. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay. So, um, anyway, we're they're flying all over the place. I think I shot another one before a two-minute clock ran out. And then uh, two-minute drill. You're like, all right, time's over. And I look up, and they're dove flying everywhere, dude. (laughs) And they're they're, – I'm not kidding you, dude. They're, like, fixing to hit us in the head, some of them, man. (laughs) And it's like – Oh, we could. I could limit in. I could limit in two more minutes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yep. if I had two more minutes, and but I just didn't shoot anymore. So we. I ended with five. <laughs> that's, yep. I mean, that's what I ended with. I had. I just shot them, you know, here and there throughout the day, and shot like two or three right there in the last like four minutes before shooting light, and then and then we proceeded to 
drive eight T-posts, run two strands of wire, and unload and dump 20 bags of corn. And put a trail camera and up. And put a trail camera up in the dark while the mosquitoes pelted Tyler. <laughs> they didn't like me. I didn't get bit once. They I got Eric, too. <clears throat> well, it's because he had them arms out. That's what it was, man. Dang, dude. Yeah. Just like signs, neon signs. That's it. He, he was attracting them. I think it was his sun goes down sunblock that he had on it. It smelled good, and they liked it. <laughs> but uh, we got it up, and we, had, we accomplished what we sought out to do. Got us some cheap old pizza because it was the only thing that was open. Mm. And dude, you gotta love a good old Dave's pizza, man. Oh, man, I've eaten a lot of gas station pizza in my life. Mm-hmm. It's all pretty good, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. grease and salt, man. I, I made those hot stuff pizzas for a long time in high school yep. out there at the Joe Bob's. If you're from Sulphur Springs, you, you know what Joe Bob's is. Yeah, Joe represent. Bob's. Joe Bob's three is where I used to work, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty nice, pretty good stuff. Don't eat the chili though; still wouldn't touch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that concludes kind of our preseason prep on the Kansas place. Pretty excited about that. Y'all can look forward to some uh, bad-to-the-bone hunts coming from up there. And I think now we're going to do some of this Q&A stuff. Yeah. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the turkey woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17 for Turkey Week. All right, Eric, you got some Q&A questions for us? Yes, sir. Here we go. Do hogs actually run deer off of property? When hunting public, would you set up for deer if there was a solid mix of deer and hog sign? Um, all right, kind of two questions here. Um, I don't think that hogs directly like chase a deer, like a wild dog would, right? So, that if you're if you're going like if you're trying to like go by the actual wording of what your question is, no. But I do think that um, a large amount of hogs will definitely cause pressure social pressure against deer that they don't like and you will see less deer on the property especially in a bedding sense you know like if there's a good food source and it's like the primary food around the deer will come out there and eat but i mean i've i've got a camera at my house right now on a on a feeder or on a bag a place i've thrown corn and you can tell like there'll be a three-year-old eight point standing over that pile of corn and then a hog will come in and that eight point leaves and the hog leaves two hours later because they just stand there for no reason and that eight point comes back in so they're, they're like submissive compared to pigs at least uh, that's kind of the way I feel like that they work what do you think? Is it Ephesians 4? <laughs> where, yeah. where the pigs are supposed to be submissive? Yeah maybe or the deer are supposed to be submissive to the pigs <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean I think uh yeah, you can just see we're like more than a, a property on a property level. It's more like a, um, 
a spot within the property usually. So like in on public, we've seen it where uh, we hunted uh, some thick cover and we had pretty good, we had really good action the first two years that we hunted this area. Um, it had had some, some work done in the area that was causing regrowth. And the first couple of years of that regrowth that we were in there, there was deer all over. And then we still had some hogs that we dealt with, but there was nice bucks. And then it got a little bit thicker and more nasty vines and, you know, briars and stuff. And the, the pigs really started to take over and we saw a lot less deer. And so mm-hmm. I think more than anything, it's those feed, feed areas, those feed stations, feed areas, um, and like the bedding, that prime bedding locations get taken over by hogs, which are dominant compared to the submissive deer. Yeah, and as far as setting up for deer in a place where there's a bunch of hogs, uh, I'd do it. You know, it's not ideal, uh, but if you think that there's a big buck in there in daylight, go in there and shoot him. You know, it's not it's not like it's something those two are mutually exclusive, but it's probably just good to use your hunting knowledge to determine if it's still a place you can kill a deer or not. Okay. What's your go-to way to kill a velvet buck? Spot and stock, bed to food, or set up on food? Man, I hadn't killed one yet. Uh, you got to deal with archery equipment usually. Yeah. Unless we watched a Eastman's deal where he shot a velvet muley with a rifle last night. I still haven't figured out how he did that. I, I mean, mean, surely it's, it's be legal. Like governor's tag or yeah, something, something's right? going on. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but it was a monster uh, to me. Not, yeah. to, not to the Eastman guy that shot it, I don't think. <laughs> it was just kind of a normal deer. Um yeah, the, the 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 options were spot and stalk, what, what, and what? Uh, spot and stalk, bed to food, or set up on food. Uh, I mean, it depends on where you're at, right? So, like, if you're, if you got a private piece in Kentucky that's 250 acres, I mean, I'd probably set up on a bean field edge, you know? Uh, if, if you're hunting a public piece, then I'm thinking just bed to food, ambush style. Uh, you got pretty real much close in 2020 to doing that. Yeah, I, I did that on the ground, uh, but I was I was in a setup location. You know, it was an ambush, but it was on the ground because mm-hmm. he was uh, he was at a fence gap um, that he I'd seen him go into the fence gap, bed in the corn uh, in the morning, and then in the evening we went in and set up on that fence gap, had him come in, feed right behind <clears> us at like five yards. I could hear him breathing. And then he kind of turned out and went and jumped or came through the fence gap and uh, saw some high heads there and um, ended up not getting a shot at him. But he was at 12 yards. That's close. And, yeah. I mean, We've, it's closer than I wanted to be, really. Yeah. We haven't uh, killed a velvet whitetail, either of us. But you killed a velvet mule deer. Yeah. Which yeah. is pretty much spot and stalk. Yeah, pretty much. So, like, you know, he said deer, which could mean either. It probably yeah. means whitetail. But I mean... Yeah, That's, the only one I've killed is a velvet mule deer. It's spot and stalk, but I would say the way to do it, if I could choose, is ambush every every time, dude. The only reason. I like spot and stalk is when that's what you got to do to get close to them because mm-hmm. it's open country or you know you just happen to be opportunistic. We killed two deer in the same night last year. It's on Buck Truck. If y'all haven't seen it, it's the first episode of Buck Truck in Nebraska, and they're on a summer pattern, which essentially is the same thing as a velvet deer it's just after they shed Mm -hmm. right and uh they uh you know as they shed the velvet and they get a little bit more grumpy things change a little bit but essentially that's what was going on as a bed to food pattern 
And uh, that's the way to kill a deer in the early season, which is essentially what velvet is, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's going to be the best way, I think. Do you hunt public or private early season, morning or evening? Um, That's what we do. We hunt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Public or private. Yeah. So do you hunt? Not what I would prefer, but what I do. I do hunt public early season. Yeah, typically. Typically. And that's what I've been able to do. Uh, and I like mornings a lot, uh, early season, because it's usually cooler in the mornings. I hunt whatever the best property I can. I feel like I got a chance to kill a big buck on in the early season. So I've hunted, you know, Kansas has a uh, usually like a, after two weeks in September, they open it up. So around the 15th usually, uh, somewhere in there. I've hunted that opening slot, and it wasn't that great. Uh, it can be great if you have the deer on your property and the prime property, but don't think I really had that. Um, so in the past, I've also hunted a lot of public just because we travel to get out of the 100-degree heat in Texas so for the early season stuff. And if you travel and don't have uh, either lease money or the lined-up lease, then you're probably going to end up hunting on public land if you want to hunt. Is there another question to that? Sorry. Uh, Oh, yeah, there was. Morning or evening? Oh, okay. Uh, Evenings for me, man. I mean, I'm with KC. The mornings are cooler. They're more fun to hunt. Um, Deer move a little bit longer in the mornings usually. But uh, I just feel very uh, confident in my setups in the evening usually and end up, I feel like, killing a lot of deer in the evenings. But I do, I've killed them in the morning early. Yeah, two years ago. You killed Dakota. a morning deer. Yep. yep. Killed a bunch of morning deer that year, I think. All no, right. maybe not. Next question is, going into a new property, what is the first thing you look for for that time of year, early season, public or private? First thing I look for, this isn't like a specific type of features of the ground or anything, just anything first yep. thing I look first for. first thing you look for. Um, food. Yep. I look for, for food. If we're talking about early season, I want to know what those deer are eating because, honestly, deer in the early season don't move very far if they have stuff close. So I want yeah. to be as close to the thing they have to move towards as possible. Uh, I think so, too. Go look at um, go look at the South Dakota buck that I shot in two years ago, 2021 just he's not that old of a deer and just look at his body he's a absolute slob just hammering food look at the nebraska deer i killed on buck truck last year the one you killed you know he's square body even though he's they're younger just, they're you know? just yeah they're just fat they're eating that's yeah. what they want to do that time of year they're yeah. eating food so find the food for sure the next question is similar <laughs> to that one um said if you haven't had boot boots on the ground experience and you're going into a new piece of public but you have a bow in your hand what's the first thing you're doing um and then he also goes in and says uh how far are you pushing in on this piece that you haven't been to during the season all right can you say the the first part of the question again to make sure i understand what yeah it's similar to that last one yeah new piece of property what's the first thing you look (laughs) for but you have a bow in hand so you know you're getting ready to go out there and hunt Gotcha. I mean, the 
Yeah, I mean. So let's establish that you've already found the food. Let's that, that'll make the okay, question yeah, easier okay. to answer. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you found the food. Uh, you've discovered this property that you can hunt next to food or close to food or on food or whatever. And this thing, here's the thing, is like food's not always an egg source. It's uh, it's nice when you can find the egg source and know for sure before you get there. But that buck that I was just talking about in South Dakota was not, he was hammering food when I shot him. But he wasn't, he was pretty, you know, probably a half mile at least from an actual ag food source, you know, that had been put in by humans. This was, this was like Forbes within a willow thicket. So, you know, it can be. Just to clarify, it can be any kind of food. It, it, it can be persimmon, a persimmon thicket or whatever, a big white oak acorn tree. Um, so I think once I do that, I'm looking for – when I go in, I'm probably early season considered. I'm looking for the best trail that goes to that food within a half mile of it probably. And I'm trying to we set up on that. We have the same answers for everything. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> – you just like, and this isn't even, this is just us just speaking off our experience yeah. and it works, man. I mean, we, we have more unsuccessful hunts as far as like killing a buck than we have successful hunts. But, you know, KC killed five bucks last year. Like he's got an idea, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I, I, like I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I can toot yours. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's just Eric toot toots each other. Everybody. Let's just toot, toot each other. Eric's been tooting all, that all over the place, man. Don't feed me yeah. pizza. And then the year before, you killed five, you know? So, like, uh, and I killed negative one, I think. So, like, uh, <laughs> like put another one on the landscape. Yeah. Uh, it, and it isn't, it isn't. I'm just saying, like, I don't want to just say it and y'all think that, oh, well, why? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know exactly well, why, but I can explain that, like, the, the deer, for whatever reason, Last year, like Nebraska, you found the trail that I killed on before I got there because we split up. We decided to finally split up, and you, we knew where you were going. Yeah. Well, you crossed this trail like 70 yards after you split up for me, and you're like, hey, right here. You're like, yeah. You got my attention. You said, right here is the trail. I went over and looked at it, and I was like, golly, it is. It's beat. Highway. So, and that's <laughs> that's the thing is like there were trails going into a food source, but there were not – a trail that looked like that yeah and year to year that will change last year was a massive drought like uh-huh. major major drought across the entire central u.s and for whatever reason that was the trail the year before it highly likely that it was a different trail because there would be snowberry on the landscape or something that they could browse before they got there instead of just having to make a straightest line possible to yeah. get there to eat you know so you just never know across year to year what the trail is always and you've got that's what you i mean even if you've been on that property you might have to find what the trail is you know just to be a little different from you on that uh i think that is not always but a lot of times that's an evening tactic an idea because in the evening the deer are um they have deltaed out if if that makes any sense they've spread out the alluvial fan yes they've created alluvial fan (laughs) Uh, and then they follow those spider webs back to one or two or three main trails that lead right into the food source. Uh, usually, that's kind of what you're looking at. Um, whereas, if you want to hunt that in the morning, you can't really sneak up there and be right on that main trail because a lot of times they're going to be out in daylight right yeah. there, right? So it doesn't really, or even in the dark, you're going to be bumping deer. So it doesn't really make sense to do that. Um, so I'm going to give you a morning tactic. Look for... Uh, good cover and habitat transition zones that lead 
like from that bedding, or I'm sorry, from that food that would lead to bedding. So I think about your South Dakota deer from two years ago and mine from last year, both morning kills, and that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. It was a habitat transition zone where, I mean, yours was very faint, but it was like a line of trees that had thicker cover on one side and a little bit thinner on another side that the deer just kind of followed. Mine, mm-hmm. it was like a ridge that led down that had plum thicket down in the bottom of it, and the deer followed the edge of those plums. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to think about, uh, you know, for a morning versus evening thing there in early season. What is the first terrain feature you look for when you're map scouting? Are you looking for dropping acorns, or what kind of food are you looking for? Uh, say it on three. One, two, three. Creeks. Creeks. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's some sort of uh, drainage, where it's a creek, a river, riparian system, draw ditch, whatever it might be. The major waterway in the country on that property is going to be the thing that generally dictates deer movement. It's going to be the axle that the wheel revolves around. And then there was this kind of a part two. Yeah, acorn deal, right? Yep. Are you looking for dropping acorns or what other? Man, this food? is a, almost the exact same exact same question we had earlier. I think um, the acorns are, or maybe I answered this at some other point. Um, anyway, this the acorns are uh, potentially something to look for. But um, KC made a point. You know the. If there's if you know seventy percent of the trees are dropping acorns, and there are you know a bunch of water oaks or something, then you don't want to hunt under the water oak tree, you know that's dropping acorns because <laughs> there's a bunch of them. Yeah. So you want to <clears> hunt <throat> under the Schumard oak that is one of two in there that are dropping big red oak acorns, or the white oak tree that's you know different or whatever. Um, but. <coughs> Even still, I mean, there's other things to look for, scrapes, You said rubs. something about caps, too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You look for empty caps, that means stuff's actually eating it. And you probably don't want to find, like, shredded acorns because that's probably something. Well, it's okay if you do, but don't think that's deer eating them because a lot of times that's squirrel. If they're breaking apart yeah. all the stuff, you know, like a deer's going to put that whole thing in his mouth and chomp it. Yeah. So look for empty caps, and that means that deer are hitting them. And, of course, like, if a deer's using, using a food source often, especially – oak trees like there's going to be deer poop underneath there uh, and that's a thing to look for it's something you know if i found deer poop around a food source that lets me know that there's been quite a bit of time there and here's the deal that we haven't really talked about yet um and i say it often though take a bunch of empty acorn caps that are on the ground and the one you know they they have been eaten they didn't have the tree wasn't wormy and so they've been eaten and then multi, uh, not multiply i mean technically it is kind of like multiplying in my mind but um add to another thing that can give you confidence in that area like oh and there's a scrape on this low-hanging branch of this oak tree too and that's where you really start to go okay there's some sign here it's not just me finding an acorn tree on the edge of what i consider a highway system of, of a creek you know so just I would definitely try to always pair two or three like advantageous attributes into your uh, in your you know spot there. Little alliteration for you there <laughs> A-A, on a Friday. A A A A Ron. All right, this is a detailed question, but I'll sum it up. This guy has a group of bucks using his land, and he's having trouble getting pictures of them uh, consistently. It sounds like. What is a group of bucks home range on private land in the summertime? Um, 
Yeah, that's kind of tough. I guess if you're only getting the the problem is he's only getting pictures of them sometimes, right? It's yeah. not like consistent. Yeah. Uh, and we read this earlier, and I feel like he mentioned something about forty acres, right? Yep. yep. And I feel like, in general, when I have been around bachelor groups, a lot of times forty acres is kind of like that core area. Like they don't venture out much past that in the summertime. Like it's not very efficient for them. Usually they can find a place where they got food, water, shelter within that amount of area. So he might just be on the edge of what that is. So I wouldn't be too discouraged by that. Um, you know, like bucks just don't move very far in the summer. Deer mm-hmm. don't in general. And so I would be thinking more about what do you have to offer them later in the season. You know, maybe he's trying to kill one like in the velvet season or whatever. But, you know, a- as they start to distribute, um, what do you have to offer those deer? Because it's probably just encouraging if you at least get some pictures of them, you know kind of what bucks are in the area, and then, you know, maybe you see those show up again in November. You know, personally, I've never been able to correlate much besides enjoying the pictures of getting, like, bachelor groups in velvet in the summer mm-hmm. and, and converting that into dead deer in the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's not, for me at least, not the same deer too often. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that... Um there's a there's a video called the ranch buck on our channel if you've seen that that property i almost never see bucks on until like halloween and halloween all of a sudden there's two bucks that are new and one of them's a shooter and then november 2nd there's i've seen by november 2nd i've seen three more and it's just like it flips a switch and you know that property has turned out decent at least for a couple of years it was decent and uh and then everybody you know probably moved in and started shooting deer around <laughs> me but uh the moral of the story is it was a doe property in the summer and i think that that's what you got to kind of like that's i mean to me if it, i would rather have a doe property in the summer that turns into a place that rut and bucks want to end up during november than have a place that they are all summer, especially if you can't hunt till October 1, and then when they shed velvet, they're gone, and you don't have bucks or does too much in the, you know. So it could be a good thing. And I would say, again, I've seen another study that was recent. I saw, like, a short Instagram video that was like almost like a time lapse of uh, pings from a satellite collar, satellite collar bucks. And I believe even in the summer they were taking these like legs that people think about them taking during the rut that were actually like legs uh, that happened in the summer where they're just, you see core range, core range, core range, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, boom, there goes a big boomerang that happened over the course of two days uh, where one of the bucks, you know, made a mile and a half loop to try to for whatever reason like i don't know if he's scouting out doe bedding for later on or if he's you know just checking to see like am i in the right location here you know like is there a place that's better for me is there a place that has water and food and shelter that i need to be locating relocating to or whatever so i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't sweat it too much i'm saying same thing as casey where it's like man there's only you can watch you can watch hunting hunting media stuff you know any kind of videos and tv stuff and see these guys that are shooting you know on instagram kentucky velvet bucks on their private bean fields and stuff like that and and even a lot of those guys don't do it year after year and i think that's just because you know it really does depend on uh 
the property and the weather patterns and the you know health of the landscape and all these things as to whether you have a deer that can be hunted yeah. early in the season and if not that's what the beauty of the rut is that's why that's the it. rut is awesome man <laughs> everybody has a chance at a 200 in the rut yeah you know bad gum that's a good point that's i awesome. love it that's what's good about it dude. chance at a 200 let's go i mean my chances are high this year dude <laughs> i'm just saying just saying last question this is for newer hunters um this guy doesn't want to buy uh field spray or ozonics or anything like that he's having a hard time understanding wind uh when he gets out of the truck he doesn't know which way the wind's blowing he does the finger test and the wind is hitting his finger in all directions so what is a good tip on deciding which way the wind is he's got an omni wind it sounds like he's got a tornado sucking straight up <laughs> off his finger <laughs> uh you know first tip is to trust the weatherman as, as crazy as that sounds can't trust uh, the weatherman i know makes but, his living on like a chance um you can look at you know say you're going to hunt uh kansas city missouri and uh you're gonna hunt downtown Mm. Um, that'd be a good place. I, I, I bet there's some big, big bucks ones in there, town. Dude. I don't uh, know, but. but in general, like you can set your location on your weather app on your phone for whatever town's close to where you are. That there's a weather station, and then that'll give you kind of the predominant wind for the day of that area. Now, I might, you might have these little subclimates and different influences with terrain and, and whatnot that can affect the wind in different directions. But in general, um, you gotta know how to tell direction, right? So, like in Usually, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. If it doesn't, we got bigger problems than finding deer. Um, but <laughs> might have, uh, might have might not solutions. be a problem. Yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> bigger uh, solutions. But um, that's what you should name your next company. Bigger solutions. Yeah, and you just call it BS if yeah, you want. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, if you if you know how to tell directions, you know that you got a northwest wind that day. Uh, so in general, that's what you can assume is going to happen in the woods. And then maybe on a more personal level, Tyler, how do you tell the, the wind direction? Like, say you're in a spot that you're thinking about setting up. Um, I and you use milkweeds. Yeah. Which, so, uh, yeah, that's the that's the fluffy stuff. Yeah. Comes out of the pod, and uh, they make these little fibrous, you know, seed floats, and the seeds knock off of them really easily. Um, or you could just be a modern-day Johnny Appleseed if you want and just spread milkweeds all over the place. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, you know, it's kind of weird to think about taking a milkweed from, you know, Wisconsin and putting it in the Rocky Mountains and for elk hunting, you know. But <laughs> Um, no, I, but that's so you take the milkweed from over there and you, you put, put it, it over here. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, the they float, and what's good about them as opposed to like a uh, synthetic um, wind checker that you might get at like a Bass Pro Shops or something is they don't dissipate and they will float with thermals and show thermal upwellings or downdrafts. Uh, wherever there's cold or warm air around. So you can really get a good idea. Like I remember there was a, there was a time when I threw about a billion of them. There's been actually a lot of times when I've done that when I'm trying to really get a dial on like, what is the wind doing at this tree before I set up in it? Because it's, it ain't perfect. And the thing is about a not perfect wind is a lot of times you can kill deer on them if it's perfect a lot of times you might not have a deer come in because it ain't good for him right yeah so 
you find these winds that are what a lot of people call just off winds. We've kind of created a little bit of a concept in our minds, at least, that's called a 90-degree wind where uh, if you can hunt a deer on a wind that's 90 degrees from the direction he's coming from or so, uh, you're pretty daggum safe, and he's also got enough wind in his nose and feels pretty comfortable about what's ahead of him, you know. It's 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 a 90 degrees is kind of a ballpark thing, you know what I mean? But sometimes it's like... 20 degrees and you're like man am i gonna miss sweating where he's coming from you know so you just throw and throw and throw and you look at these these thermals and stuff like that to try to figure out like because there is a place on texas public where kc shot at a buck uh several years ago that you think you want to hunt and we found out a few years later that you you can hunt it on the opposite wind of what you think you would want to hunt it on and it actually works pretty well because there's the tree that we sit in, the base of it comes uh, out of kind of a little hole where there's, you know, kind of near a pond. And it hits this ground that goes up and then flattens out out in front where all the shots are. So as the wind comes across that little, like, pond area and hits that uh, kind of, like, chute or whatever that goes up and, and rises up, it hits that rise, it tends to draft all the wind up and over that flat for a distance so you can watch your you can legitimately drop milkweeds and watch it go up and over where deer would be and it's it literally you almost cannot get smelled there by any in any wind direction it's weird isn't it it's wild yeah it's cool um another thing to consider too when you're figuring out wind say you've got a spot that you think works good on a certain wind and you go in there and hunt it uh something i like to do on a new place that i'm hunting where i'm like very much specifically expecting a deer to come from a certain direction i uh like to continue to drop a little bit of milkweed throughout the evening or morning depending uh just to see how like the temperature change changes or you know you just might have a little bit like a 10 degree wind shift that changes a lot of things for you uh, as far as your setup goes too as time goes on you know like especially in the evenings when things start to cool off and get still like you might have had 10, 10 mile an hour wind out of the south because it's a hot day but then like you know right as the sun sets things get cooled off and uh you might ha- end up with like a six out of the west you know it's a whole 90 degree wind change just because the thermodynamics of uh the area change when the sun goes down so something else to keep in mind about wind uh we can go on and on about wind man like mm-hmm. it might make its own podcast like a couple times a year honestly mm-hmm. like it's just it's it's one of the craziest like dynamics of being out in in the woods. You know, yeah. it's a thing that's constantly changing, and, and really one of the things that uh, you it's a mystery as to how the deer know how to use it so well. Yeah, dude, these questions are really good. I appreciate all the people who took time to reach out and and do that. We're gonna try to do these. I keep saying it. We're gonna, we may even do it more often than we've kind of planned on. And uh, maybe we can do like a pre-rut episode in the next month or so, help you think about October. And uh, again, I guess you want to reiterate that like uh, we just spend a lot of time in the woods. You know, it's not uh, necessarily that we're better at this than anybody. We just get to spend a lot of time in the woods and see a lot of different situations arise and that kind of thing. So we just want to share that with you guys. And we want everybody like my ideal situation is that guys go out and shoot deer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't want. Let's help you find Dude, a buck I'm telling to kill. you, I mean, eight or ten years ago, like, I'd be considered probably a decent hunter, hunted a lot and stuff, but, like, 
you put me on a random piece of public in a random state, dude, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. Yeah. And I end, I would end up wasting hundreds, if not a couple thousand bucks going on a trip, not wasting, but not getting what the ideal situation yeah. is, which is shooting a buck and bringing it home. There's still places like that. I feel like it a little bit. Sure. You know, That's, we I mean, stomped around Wisconsin and scouted some stuff this past year, and I was like, I don't know. This looks good. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I felt that way a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm sure – the locals probably have a little bit better idea about what to do in that stuff. You know, like For the big sure. woods of Pennsylvania. That's something we went and scouted and looked at. And we found some buck sign. It was cool, but I don't know. You know, yeah. like there's a reason I hadn't gone there to hunt whitetails because I'm like, I don't I, I don't know if I could kill one in five days up there. Yeah. You know, you just don't but, know. I mean, you, you know, deer, deer. So, like, you're going to – the things you learn about deer along the way, you're going to be able to apply in pretty much any situation. But <laughs> – they are also regional and do different things and the deer that we hunt in kansas are doing different things than the deer we hunt in east texas sure and enough. they're doing different things than and that's the, called leaving imprints in the ground from their feet because yeah. the ones where we live are jackrabbits that's for sure <laughs> Jack, you know another thing about jackalopes one thing that we get to kind of experience that hopefully we kind of pour into podcasts like this where we get to answer questions is experience from other hunters too because yeah. we talk to a lot of other hunters in fact Every week from now till the end of the year, we will be talking to at least three or four hunters from all over the U.S. every week, different states, um, on a podcast called Rut Fresh Radio that ends up on the the uh, you know umbrella of Wired to Hunt. So if you want to go check that out, um, you can hear you know us talk to people from anywhere from you know Washington State to Delaware to Texas. Uh, and everywhere in between pretty much so you know make sure if you want to hear guys giving a little tidbit of information especially when it comes to like like to up to the minute information on what's happening in x state you know if you're in that state it could be really pivotal information for you so go check that out also um Oh, we we can't tell that yet. Yeah, somebody Ooh. shot so, shot something. Someone um, shot something. So something that'll have to be probably next next week's podcast. And yeah. or you can follow us on social and have a lot of details right now. It's up to you. That's right on yeah. the social stuff. Um, but yeah, like that video will probably be out on YouTube along with a couple others. We still have some antelope stuff uh, that's on the cutting room floor that's coming soon. Um, and KC is going to be doing some really cool stuff in the next couple of weeks that uh, we hope to. To uh, see some some pretty cool <laughs> pictures from at least. And, hey, uh, there's a car in front of us that has a squirrel riding on the back of a moose <laughs> as a bumper sticker. <laughs> That's all right with me. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, deer season's close. As Tyler likes to say, that I like to say. Uh, <laughs> remember, the hype is good. Don't don't feel ashamed for being excited because this is like one of the funnest things we get to do. That's right. And uh, it is a good time. So remember that. Remember, this is your element. Live in it. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the Turkey Woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17, 
for Turkey Week.